So hello and welcome. Happy Friday. Today is Friday, February the 16th, and this is Backyard Beekeeping Questions and Answers, episode number 245. I'm Frederick Dunn, and this is the way to be. So thank you for being here with me today. The winter is dragging on, wet, rainy. How bad is it outside? Glad you asked. 26 degrees Fahrenheit, that's minus 3 degrees Celsius. 7 mile per hour winds and 67% relative humidity. So humidity is not too bad. We had strong wind gusts yesterday, but everything made it through just fine. I hope things are great where you are. So if you want to know what we're going to talk about today, please look down in the video description below and you'll see all the topics listed in order. You'll also find links to follow-on information and a deeper dive on some of the things we're going to be talking about today. So if you want to know how to submit your own question, you can go to the website, thewaytobe.org, and click on the page marked The Way to Be. There's a form. You can fill it out and submit it and have your topic considered. You can also listen to this as a podcast on Podbean or just Google Podcast The Way to Be, and you'll find it. It's on a lot of different podcast carriers. Some people were asking if uh, how come some of the episodes prior to number 80 are not on the podcast, and that's because I didn't start doing the podcast part until I was at episode 80 several years ago. So that's the answer to that question. And uh, what else can I say? I do want to give a shout out and thank uh, the people at Horizontal Bees, specifically Ricky Rourke, uh, for having me on last night. And they hosted a live stream and people asked their questions. It was a lot of fun. It started at 8 o'clock and it's still there at Horizontal Bees. That's the YouTube channel name. So if you want to see that, you can check it out. It went on for a little over an hour there. So thank you for having me there. It was a lot of fun. I guess we're going to jump right in and see what's going on. So the first one comes from Debbie from Bega, New South Wales, Australia. Can you explain the difference between wet cappings and dry cappings on honey frames? That being the capping, the cappings being either very white, dry, and yellow, wet. We are seeing this on hives that are situated next to each other in the same apiary. So anyway, this does come up from time to time. And the thing of it is, either way, it's nothing to worry about. But just in case, I did a little research on that today. And I did find out that actually some of the bees, uh, depending on the genetics of the bee, are more prone to leave an airspace just under the cap. Those would be the white dry cappings or no airspace under the cap. And those are the ones that look wet. So by wet, really, it's just darker and the wax is in direct contact with the honey. I don't know why. They leave an airspace sometimes underneath of it. The other thing that could make your cappings look white, and you'll even see it on the same cap on the same cell. One side will look more white and the other side may look wet or darker. And uh, that's because they just put more wax on it. So you see the thicker I see, thicker wax uh, caps on uh, hives that have been going for a while. In other words, they cycle back the beeswax that they have. And they do make the wax caps are the newest of the wax in the hive. So they do grab the edges, though, from the comb and also amend that into the capping. So that can have something to do with looking white if it's thicker and then, of course, darker on another part of the exact same cap. So either way, it's not detrimental for your honey at all. And they dug a little deeper here. The Italians are more likely to leave an airspace. So they have dry caps. These are Italian bees. Caucasians tend to be wet and some 
have both in the same hive. So it is an interesting question, but if you see it or if there's a discussion about it, it's really no big deal. Question number two comes from Jose from Hampstead, Maryland. And uh, hello, Mr. Dunn. My question is, what is the order of operation of things? In other words, should I be buying things as a brand new beekeeper? After I buy my hives, what's my next purchase? Supers, extra foundation, OA vapes, slatted rags, nukes. Thanks for all the info. And I think a lot of people uh, this time of year that are just starting out, maybe just finish a bee course. When I am mentoring people, and I bring this up because I feel like you should, if you can get a hold of one, find somebody who's mentoring who's been keeping bees for quite a while. And here's why. I often provide site instruction to people about the bees that we keep. And I'll even set them up with bees and sometimes hand me down equipment that I know has never had a disease in it. So when you talk to some of the older beekeepers, we're always cycling um, bee equipment out. So maybe when you're just starting out, you could get a twofer there. You might get a swarm that gets collected in spring and you might be able to collect some cycled back hive equipment because the beekeeper that's mentoring you or that's been around for a while might be moving it out anyway. My very first beehive that I ever got was given to me. And I didn't at that time know anything about diseases that could potentially be coming with it, but um, it was old. It had been sitting in a barn for a long time and somebody just said, hey, you want this? Want to try beekeeping? And I brought it home. I no longer have it, but uh, that's free. You can't be free. So often you can buy used equipment. Now here's the thing, when you're just starting out, what do you absolutely need? I don't care whether you're going to Daydont, Better Bee, Man Lake, there's all these catalogs out. Most of them are running specials and there are beginner kits. So when you buy a kit, you are getting most of the things that you need. And uh, I suggest at a bare minimum, you're gonna need a stand to put your beehive on. You're going to need a bottom board to put your brood box on. And then after the brood box, you're going to need at least a medium super for them to build up. So I'm guessing that you'll either be starting with a nucleus hive or you'll be starting with a swarm. Swarms are easy, swarms are cheap. If you can learn to catch swarms uh, or go with somebody that maybe gets too many like I do, um, you can end up getting the swarm yourself, bringing it home and have someone demonstrate how to hive that for you. And now you have no investment in the bees, which I think is a great way to start. Plus, if it's a spring swarm, you'll know that it's acclimated to the area where you live. So I think that's a great idea in spring. So, and what you absolutely need, you need to have something to protect yourself. So there, there's a lot of discussion about experienced beekeepers never wear any protection. And uh, some people will say, um, yeah, I haven't worn a bee suit for, you know, 20 years or more. So this is my take on that. Every beekeeper should have a bee suit, uh, particularly when you're just starting out until your confidence is up. But here's another reason for that. Um, we were just talking with a good friend yesterday, my wife and I were, and uh, her bees just went cranky on her. So she's wearing double bee suits and getting stung. And I won't say where the location is or where the state is. But my cautionary tale is that if you're gonna keep bees and they are venomous insects and you may not know their disposition, 
You need to be able to take up a frontline position with your own bees if they become hostile. And if you don't have a bee suit, that's going to be a very difficult thing to do. So I always recommend, whether you never wear it, I don't care, but have a full bee suit, gloves, a veil, protection. Uh, just in case things go bad. You also could use that bee suit when someone comes and wants to see your bees and maybe they're not that comfortable with them. So that's enough about that. What bee suit would I recommend? If you're only going to get one bee suit and it's a vented bee suit, I recommend Guardian Bee Apparel. So that's another one to check into. Vented suits. You can always put more clothing on underneath of it, but when it's a hot summer day, a vented suit is fantastic. So the other thing is uh, you need a smoker. So you're going to have to have a smoker to calm your bees. Some people do not want to use smoke and that's okay. But there again, that's once you've learned to manage your bees and how to get into them. So if you're a very careful, slow moving individual who's full of confidence, you might be able to work your bees without smoke. They would thank you for that. On the flip side, if you're picking up guard bees just because you walked into your apiary, you haven't even touched a beehive yet, you're going to need a smoker. So you also need a hive tool. And uh, that's another thing where your mentor comes into play because he or she may have a lot of different hive tool designs and explain the merit of each design. How good is it? So these are minimum tools, pieces of equipment that you might need to start beekeeping. And you need to think ahead, where would you store your stuff? A lot of people get into beekeeping and don't realize they need a shed to store things. Some people complain that I didn't realize I would have to have twice the space and storage of the equipment that I have out in my apiary. So a place to stage your stuff in bad weather, a uh, place where you can work on it, clean it, and uh, racks to store frames and things like that. And you will need to pick out frames. Some people go foundationless. So again, it's the full spectrum. That's why I say a beginner kit, they're usually priced pretty good. And, uh, you probably will need to buy a stand. So that's all I mentioned there. The other thing is uh, just make sure that you site it well. In other words, you pick a very good location, leave yourself room to move all the way around the beehives and do this kind of planning with someone who's got experience with bees. So those are the basics, I think. I would not, you know, jump into all the extra pieces like it says here, uh, extra foundation, OA vaporizers, slatted racks, nukes, and things like that. I would say let those things come later. Get yourself through a couple of years with basic bee equipment. Now, on the flip side of that is if you just have a lot of money laying around and uh, if it's money is no object, still start with just the basics and then go from there. I wouldn't mind seeing a slatted rack on there and uh, go from that. So... Hope that helps, but uh, get a kit. See what happens and see if you like it and then invest from there. Plus, you'll learn more about what you want after you've been working hives for a little bit because uh, you can get caught up in all the extra tools, frame grabbers and things like that. Those are bonuses and some people like gadgets. I'm a gadget guy, I love gadgets, but uh, you collect them through the years and some you find out after you get them, they're cool, but you may never use it. So stick to the basics, see if people have old gear they can give you. Someone with a very good reputation of beekeeping that you know will not be giving you contaminated equipment. So moving on to question number three comes from Kurt, Comstock Park, Michigan. My bees are covering the ground up and they're 
covering corn I use for cows and they're bringing it back to their hives. I have also read this has no value for honeybees and they will discard it later. Wondering if they will use the corn dust like pollen or are they wasting their time? So in the opening sequence last Friday, I showed that honeybees were in my bird feeders. What's in the bird feeder? Black oil sunflower seed only, nothing else. And they were going after it really intensely. And the reason I bring this up is because someone commented and said, hey Fred, you think there's any chance that in processing that sunflower seed that there might actually be pollen dust in with the seed? And I thought that was interesting. I didn't really know all the stages that black oil sunflower seed bird seed goes through and maybe there's a chance that some of that dust is actual pollen and guess what it isn't so collect the dust look at it under magnification and find out if it's just dust or pollen and it is just dust so these foragers what it really shows is that they're intense that they really need resources and that they're going after anything that seems powdery that has the consistency of pollen uh, some people will say that well they're just they mistake it for flowers and things like that i don't think that's true uh, because they're going right into chicken coops they're going into chicken feed bins wherever the dust exists and i did a little um reading about pollen substitutes and here's why i do that i don't put pollen patties inside any of my hives but when they're actively foraging and they're desperate enough to go after any dust so part of this question was what happens when they get it back to the hive is there any value in it no they are wasting their time so let's give them something to do uh, pollen substitutes i've done really basic backyard pollen substitute tests through the years and uh, it's something that I don't really need that much here. Uh, and that's because early spring brings a lot of pollen resources for my bees where I currently live. Uh, however, we get these breaks where it'll be 60, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. And there are some risks that I want you to know about because if you give your bees a whole bunch of pollen and they were a pollen sub and they start to brood up, uh, then they will need more of their resources to keep their brood warm. See, brood is from 94 to 97 degrees Fahrenheit at all times over the developing brood. So uh, that requires them to use a lot of resources. They have to feed the larvae when they're in their open stage and so on. So the thing is, uh, rather than have them going after my bird feeders, which by the way, kept the birds away from the feeders, and rather than having them in the chicken coops trying to raid the feeders, which are all inside the building, by the way, which shows you the scouts are checking out every little nook and cranny. And if you go outside, they're checking you out this time of year. So I put the pollen sub out and I'd like to explain some things. I put it out on picnic tables and uh, I put it in those paper egg carton containers, right? So dozen, you can even get 18 and 24 sized uh, egg carton containers, the pulpy recyclable paper ones. The reason I do that is I notice that when I put the pollen substitute in those um, egg trays, the bees can really get in, get out. They're not, you don't find dead bees laying around them. Some people like to use a four inch PVC pipe, which is drain pipe and things like that. They like to hang it up, put it outside and leave it there, fill it up and leave it there. You end up finding a bunch of dead bees in there. So maybe that's important to you. Maybe it isn't. But it's also more expedient for the bees to fly into an open surface, get the pollen, and fly right back out. 
if you think you might be using a bird feeder or something like that, because it's the other thing I thought about, huh, the bird feeder actually looks like a pretty good pollen feeder. But then a lot of them have windows in them and the bees are going to get right through the entrance, even though this thing is full of pollen sub. And then when they go to go out, they're just going to bounce against those windows and they're going to die inside. So think about it having to be a dark space or an open space. So another reason why I like the open egg carton method of delivering the pollen sub to the bees, uh, I take it away at night. So if it's going to rain, it's not out there. If uh, during the overnight, I put it away. So I don't like to set up a pollen feeder. And I actually have one of those really oversized blue plastic $170 pollen feeders that I used to put uh, the 40 pound bag of Ultra B, um, you know, the dry pollen sub from them. And uh, now that sits in the garage all the time. I probably should just sell it to somebody that wants to deal in volume like that. But uh, it worked okay. But uh, that's far more than my bees ever needed. And I don't like to leave it out. That's because you get rainstorms, you get heavy dew that can dampen the pollen. And at night, some animals like raccoons, for example, or even my own Boston Terrier goes after the dry pollen sub. So it needs to be put away. And the other thing is then you can look at the weather. So I want to cover today some of the pollen substitute preferences. And by that, I mean location of the pollen sub. Think about that. We don't want to put it directly on a beehive. So it seems convenient. You've got this flat cover on your beehive. Why not put the pollen substitute directly on the beehive? And the reason you don't is because other bees will come to that and they have long memories. They're going to know where the pollen substitute was located and they'll go after it right there. And they also start to check out and put pressure on the colony that the pollen substitute is sitting on. So there are distances that were actually done in a test. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, this study was done on February 2nd, 2023, and it was published on the 28th of February, 2023. And I'll put a link down in the video description for those of you who want to do a deeper dive. But 10 meters away from the apiary, so that's 30 feet roughly. 10 meters was the most popular distance for your bees to go from your apiary to find pollen substitute. So that's where your feeders could be. 30 feet away. The second most popular distance was 25 meters and the third was 50 meters. So close is good. On top of the hives is bad. The other thing is what time of day would you put it out? So I always look at the weather station and we have the ambient weather network weather station here. And uh, I like to see what the temperature is because bees will fly in cold weather if the sun is shining to a known source, whether it's nectar or pollen, right? So if you put your dry pollen sub out in a spot, keep that spot consistent and your bees will find it. And if you take it away and forget to put it out, you'll see bees zipping around that area looking for it when the weather warms up. So time of day, uh, 11 to 12 a.m. was actually the high, the high travel, the high visit time for bees getting to your pollen sub. And, uh, Fewer bees, 4 to 5 p.m., so that's later in the day. You know, our days are getting a little longer this time of year, and uh, I don't know exactly what time of year that study was done, but these were the high areas. And you will, as soon as the sun gets up and it hits 48 to 50 degrees and sunny, 7 a.m., you'll see scouts right back where the pollen substitute is. And keep in mind, they will fly sooner and cooler if they have a known resource they're going to. 
they wait until it's warmer and drier before they go and check for new locations because they're very good at economizing. So that's one study, all right? And there's another study that was done because I wanted to check out before I recommend any pollen substitutes because I know that may be on your mind right now. So we check in with Dr. Jamie Ellis, University of Florida, B-Lab. So they did a study to December 2021. So relatively recent, these uh, mixtures have not changed and therefore I don't think the results will change. But uh, the number one pollen substitute that they tested and found to be better than the control. So when you're doing a test, whether it's your backyard test or whether it's high science like they do down at the University of Florida, um, you always need a control. And for this instance, it's a colony that was fed nothing compared to colonies that were fed pollen substitute. And then what pollen substitutes did they respond to the most? Did they bring back and have the greatest success inside the colony? And this is through winter time. So number one, no great surprise because it's been talked about in other studies too, AP23, which comes from Dedant. It was significantly chosen by more bees and had better results in keeping your brood longer, more brood through winter, all three, in other words, the controls and the pollen sub um, colonies that were tested, they all lost weight through winter, which is understandable because they lose weight. They're not in full production. There's not full-blown foraging going on. But the bees that were given pollen substitute were significantly heavier, heavier going through winter than the control, which were the hives that were not given additional pollen substitutes in the state of Florida, by the way. So number one, significantly AP23 from Dadent. Number two was Mega Bee, and that's from uh, Better Bee. So, and beyond that, they didn't test others. So I think they narrowed the field to what they felt were the top two, and that's what they tested. So I wanted to check into those because some people may be wondering, well, what's that gonna cost me if I'm a backyard beekeeper? Well, if you go to Better Bee right now, and it was interesting to me, if you're in the state of Florida, they can't even ship it to you. So Better Bee sells the Mega Bee, and it's $29.95 for five pounds right now. And there's a note in the listing cannot ship to Florida. So you're out if you're in Florida. Other states, okay. The next one, AP23, is sold by Dadant, and they are $27.95, so cheaper than Mega B, and they are in stock, both are in stock, by the way, and uh, Dadant ships all over the United States, but they will not ship outside of the United States. So those are the top two. They're not very expensive right now. I did look up uh, Ultra Bee Dry Pollen Sub. It's sold through a lot of different outlets and the smallest amount you could get is 10 pounds. And it was the cheapest of the three. And I don't have any current data on the performance of Ultra Bee. So that covers pollen subs and whether or not it benefits them to get cornmeal, it does not. And it does not benefit them to scoot around through bee feeders with sunflower seeds and then that would have been really interesting if it turned out that that was actually pollen in the dust there because i just thought that was a, a very neat question i thank you for asking it question number four comes in here and it is from ian Kelowna, british columbia canada so this is not ian stepler this is another ian so hi fred i'm gearing up for my second year of beekeeping was wondering if cell direction was an issue. I was actually wondering about having the flat on the bottom. As I began searching, I found discussions about household 
positioning do you put any stock in it okay so i have to admit thank you ian i had never heard of household positioning so what did i do i launched into a study okay so the first thing that you should do i think when we're looking at uh, the arrangement of uh, the cells in a beehive see i did this little drawing right here see that and then this little bee says, stop, stop arguing about it because it doesn't matter. So here's the thing. And the reason I say it doesn't matter is because the bees, when they do foundationless frames, so that means they're going to build their comb without a foundation that guides them. And so the question comes into play, if you're putting in your own foundation, what direction should it be? And uh, the vertical position is the Y. So I use this on my cover shot today. This is considered the vertical position. And this is what almost every beehive starts with if they're foundationless at the top bar. But then as it goes down from the top bar, even on the same frame, if there's no foundation, they will start to tilt some this way, tilt some this way, and then this would be what's considered the flat position. And that is what they're talking about with this household, household positioning. So I did look up household to find out what the claims were and also what the supporting information is for it. They claim it improves brood production. They also claim it reduced swarming. They also claim more efficient comb building if the flat is on the bottom like that. And then, so we dig into the science. Anecdotal information is not good enough for me. Mm -mm. So we go to PLOS 1, February 7, 2022. So not very long ago. Natural comb. And uh, so they show all these orientations in a single comb. So if it's foundationless, at the very top, they all start out with the vertical position they're calling it, which is the Y formation. And then as it goes down and out to the edges where we get drone comb and things like that, they get a little shifty and they start to demonstrate all of the angles, which I found to be very interesting. Being a scientific study, of course, they dug into all of it. Uh, vertical, which is the Y position, oblique, which is somewhere in between having the flat on the bottom and not quite the Y position. So they're slightly tilted. And then there's the Y position, which is what you see the most often. And more than 60% of the time is what you see the bees building. So they also checked out several honeybee species to see if it was species specific, to see if one subspecies did it differently than another. So vertical, oblique, and horizontal. And uh, it's variable, but the more than two times out of, let's say, 200% of the bees would uh, do it with the Y position and the others are secondary but can be present. So if you Google, you know, honeycomb and click on images and then you start looking at natural honeycomb, you'll see all the configurations, but two to one, it will be the Y configuration. So let's go on to the other part of it. Is there a preference by queens? So in other words, when a queen honeybee is on a brood frame that has all the different orientation of the frame positioning and the angles of uh, the frame of the cells, right? Did the queen choose one over another? She did not. There was no preference for one over the other. So did the brood develop any differently in one 
over the other? No. So we can check that off. Where they came up with the idea that this somehow would reduce swarming, it is not known to be a swarming trigger at all, the orientation of a cell, whether or not that would cause that. So that's not scientifically supported. And uh, more efficient comb building, also not scientifically supported. So here we have it. It makes no difference, but if you're leaving the bees to themselves, it's the Y position. And therefore, if you're installing a foundation, the study, you know, summarized that you would then position everything in the Y position, right? So that Y configuration, which is this one right here with the pointy part down, just like the letter Y. The other thing was uh, the studies conflict on strength, by the way, too. So I thought it was pretty clear before that, uh, you know, each piece leads into the next. And because they're angled down, that that load gets picked up by the vertical piece and so on. And then the flats. But also uh, they did these tests with different, of course, engineers and the stressing compressional loads and everything else. And uh, they found variations. So some studies claimed one was better than the other. So collectively, they're inconclusive. So if you have a chance to put your foundation in there, and it is just a foundation, put it in the vertical position, which is just like the letter Y. And that was interesting because I did learn something new. Household positioning. Uh, just anecdotal information about any benefits there. Brand new to me. Question number five. We go on to Fred here from Pleasant View, Utah. I've been kicking around the VSH queen idea. I would like to slow down on all the chemicals that I put in my hives with better stock of bees. What are your thoughts and suggestions? So for Fred in Pleasant View, Utah, this is what I want to do myself. I want to keep as many chemicals out of my hives as I possibly can. And I do think VSH, I think genetics of bees are the future. Because VSH, what is that anyway? You might be wondering, Varroa sensitive hygienic, right? So they react to the presence of Varroa. That's on my chart, you know, pretty high on the list if they're chewing Varroa feet. So I had another question uh, last night during the Q&A, you know, how much magnification to see the feet of a Varroa mite. And uh, I like to see them chewed and most of my colonies chew their feet. That is a favorite pastime for some of my bees and therefore I'm glad to have those genetics here. And I cycle my own bees back to me. So I think year after year after year, we're getting better bees here. Now, I do have some colonies, this, this bothers some people, right? That I have some colonies that I still treat. Why would I do that if I wanna be treatment free? Well, because otherwise I lose the colony and they're still doing okay. And if I can do a mild treatment, what's considered an organic treatment, I don't do any synthetic treatments. So organic only and oxalic acid falls under the organic category and uh, so do some others. So I have backups. If I had something that I, I need to control those mites. And, uh, but if I'm making splits and expanding my apiary and doubling up on the genetics that I have, I'm only going to make splits and produce others from the colonies that are demonstrating that they don't need control interventions, right? So other than integrated pest management. So that's the way you configure your hive. You might have a screen bottom board. You might have a lot of other things that help your bees control things. And you can also do that by controlling swarming, allowing them to swarm as a method, which is counterproductive if you're trying to get a bunch of honey from your bees. Making splits, likewise, counterproductive 
if you're trying to keep your bees numbers up so that you can get a lot of honey so that you can maybe profit from your bees. Since I'm not into profiting from the bees that way, and I, I, that's no judgment on anybody that wants to, I can do the splits and stuff, but I think that may have also had a big impact on the overall health and well-being of the bees that I'm keeping. Uh, because when you have brood breaks and things like that, it also impacts uh, your varroa mites. But I am strong on the genetic side of things. Uh, let's get better bees. And uh, hopefully, if we can get enough people on board, it doesn't mean that I'm against people that are treating your bees. If you've got disease indications and you've got a treatment regimen for that, um, if you've got uh, mite infestations and you have to get those under control, your only other option, if you're not going to treat, is to cull that colony of bees. So uh, treatment worked for me. So after 10 years, I did mild oxalic acid vaporization treatments. Now keep in mind, I had bees that were doing pretty good, but I made a mistake and brought in other bees in packages and it kicked off another spike of varroa destructor mites. I had clean inspections from the state inspector uh, with my hygienic bees. So I'm trying to work my way gradually back to that. And uh, so yeah, minimal treatments. And then of course, if I need to get rid of a colony, if you get to that point where you've got a colony in your apiary that is a an outlier, you know, it's just the one that is showing high mite levels and stuff like that. You got to get those drones out of there. We control those genetics and we suppress that colony. So if you want to get rid of it, you know, that's the other end of it. It's one way to control things, call the bad bees. So those are my thoughts. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of it. And of course, uh, you know, I've long said that I use the bee weaver line. There are lots of other bee genetics coming to the surface now that are demonstrating outstanding traits that possibly can move more people towards the treatment-free category. Huge fan of that. So uh, the other thing is, um, I want people to think about where they live because there's another reason why, I wondered why I don't get a lot of uh, diseases with my bees and things, and I think a lot of it has to do with the environment that they're in. So today I would like to talk to you about something that I talk a lot about. This website is called beescape.org. So B-E-E-S-C-A-P-E.org. Now this is run by Pennsylvania State University. And uh, in fact, we just did a test on it yesterday. So in other words, we tested it out to see how user-friendly it was and what kind of information was provided, how accurate the information is and stuff like that. But what it does is, first of all, it lets you know a little bit about the area that you're living in and you control the diameter of the information that's included in it. So it can be one mile from where you're located or up to a five mile diameter area. So you can find out, number one, what your bees impact is economically. So I discovered in mine, my economic value is actually very low, 51,000, where, for example, at State College, where Penn State is, uh, the bees had a $250,000 agricultural impact. So mine is lame. But here's the thing. Um, it lets you know what the land areas are primarily used for. And this is helpful and goes back to the question where somebody that is just starting out with bees. If you have the ability to pick your site, um, where you're going to locate your apiary, then go to this site, Beescape, and see, for example... 
Are there crop insecticides in use there? And what is the index? So for mine, on this chart here, the crop index is right here at the bottom, this little black bar. So it's very low, but it also tells you about habitat. If you have good habitat for bees, feral colonies and things like that, nesting availability, spring floral resources, summer floral resources and fall. So spring and summer here are awesome, way up there. And uh, you can print out these sheets. And by the way, it changes year by year, which I found very interesting because I thought that once they did that, um, that it would be kind of static, but apparently the environment changes and so does the report to Beescape. And the reason I bring it up for you, and this is only for the United States, by the way, uh, it used to be just several states, but now it is nationwide. So the more people that go and participate and uh, log in and things like that, one of the things that we also do is validate the information that's here. So what I noticed in my area is uh, when I went to state college, there were little flowers and little icons on it that you could click on and it would show you what flowers were located there. Mine doesn't have that. So mine says hayfield, forest, wetlands, things like that, but it did not have floral species uh, identified there. So there's a website called iNature. And uh, that's where I noticed when I went to other places and clicked on it that those photos of flowers and things that were going on different times of year came from iNature, which is an app. And uh, that's where you go out and you look at flowers that you find in spring or skunk cabbage or maple trees or whatever you've got going on that your bees are interested in. You take a shot of that and then it's up to you, of course, whether or not you share that information. It could just be for you. Different times of year, what's flowering, what's a nectar source, what's a pollen source. And then year by year, you'll find out if some of these are in decline or if you're possibly finding brand new floral sources that would benefit pollinators. So these things are tied in. That is not part of Beescape, but I noticed that when you click the flowers, it was provided by iNature, which I found interesting. So by the way, if you haven't guessed, we're in the fluff section already. So we are at the end of today's Q&A. So Beescape hosted by Penn State, and that's, uh, that's all I have for you today. So I hope that if you don't have dry pollen substitute, uh, and you're in an area where you have a dearth or a slow start and with the wonky weather, if you've got bees headed out and foraging, this would be a good time to go and check out a source for the top two. I recommend AP23 or Mega Bee. So they perform very close. AP23 was the standout winner according to Florida State University. So that's it for today. I want to thank you for watching. If you have questions, please put them down in the comment section below. I do my best to answer those right away. And uh, otherwise, you can go to thewaytobe.org and click on the page, mark the way to be, and submit your own topic for consideration. So thanks for watching. I wish you all the best with your bees this weekend. Mm -hmm.